0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Sunday service. We are live July 25th. I'm looking at my little girl. She's trying to come in here into the office. She sees her daddy and she wants to come play. The beauty of working from home and doing real estate is amazing. Today we're going to be talking about the do on sale clause and how to handle it. Right. Bye, baby. This is why I have a studio. This is an exact reason why I have a studio. Um, usually I stream downstairs, but we have a we had a class in my house the last couple of days where we did about 15 hours of acquisition training for creative finance deals. And um, I moved a whole bunch of my stuff upstairs. So anyway, my studio is downstairs. This is my office where I actually work and get things done. And here's my computer behind me and all that. But uh, today I decided to go live in here because it was just easier. I was running around the house. So anyway, um, welcome to Sunday service, July 25th. I'm actually surprised we have Cody Barton coming in here.
1: Why would you be surprised?
0: Uh, You know, sometimes the topic I like to talk about is a little bit, I'm passionate about it. And so I just keep cranking and you just sit there and you're like, yeah, Pace is an idiot. Um. So anyway, guys, welcome. I'll be here. I'm here. Love it. So welcome to Sunday service, everybody. July 25th, 2021. Today's topic is due on sale clause, how to handle it, how to overcome it. Um, if you missed last week's episode, we talked about what the due on sale clause is for a good amount of time. We talked about what are the things that could trigger the due on sale clause for a good amount of time. And because we are trying to limit ourselves on Sunday service to 45 minutes to an hour, we thought we would make this two episodes instead of one. And so today, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to overcome the do on sale clause and how to avoid it in the first place. Those are the two things that we'll talk about. So let's get started right out of the gate. Um, Cody, you remember the deal on Lost Dutchman Trail we had? um the due on sale clause called on us
1: yes 100% did
0: we lose that house
1: no it did not get lost it just had to be restructured
0: right so we restructured it and this what the is what heck is the due on sale clause pace Go. To, i mean the- there might be some people that 71. didn't
1: listen last week that are here like just a quick i mean in, in the quickest story format, you could do a, a what is the do on sale clause for people that are tuning in? Maybe this is their first time listening. And you know, then-
0: I actually am trying to get better at not rehearsing things 25 times and try and actually point people to being adult An adult. Hold on a second. My daughter just thinks, well, dad's not in the studio, so I can do whatever I want. Hi, what are you doing? Want to come see Cody? Come here. Come say hi to Cody. You want to see your Cody?
1: Everyone say congratulations to Pace and Corbin. She's going to be a big sister here soon.
0: Hi. Hi. Say hi, hi. Cody. I, love Cody. Dad, I got two fingers. <laughs> Look, I got two fingers. All right, go see mama, okay? Daddy's working. Okay? So the do on sale clause, if you really want a one hour explanation of it, a good idea would be to go back to last week's episode where we talked about it um, for an hour and we talked about what Perfect. it is, what triggers it, etc. That would be the appropriate answer, but I will give you a two minute explanation really, really quickly. Perfect. Do on sale clause is where you take over somebody's home and leave the mortgage in place. And what do I mean by taking their home over? It means transferring the deed or the ownership from the previous owner into your name, but not paying off their debt. It'd be like me taking over Cody's credit card payments, even though Cody's credit card is still in his name. Okay. That is not a problem. It's not illegal. It's just that sometimes the home mortgage company will say, okay, this is like the funny thing about my wife. My wife is like, well, let's just let R- Corbin run around the house. Cody, you you finish that off for just a second and I'll be right back. Yep. So
1: in regards to the due on sale clause, so what Pace was basically saying was, you know, if he took over my credit card payments, but the debt is still in my name, that's essentially what's happening when we're talking about, you know, purchasing uh, a property subject to and taking over, you know, uh, taking title to that property, but not changing whose uh, name is in the debt. This is great for anyone watching and not just listening. You going to see Corbin jumping up and down. This is so great. <laughs> um, but so, you know, going back to the sub, uh, due on sale clause. So you're taking over the title of a property. But the debt is staying in place, and so typically, most mortgages they have a clause in them called the due on sale clause, and so. I want to pass the story. This was
0: talking about. Wow, we're off to. I was I was just
1: sharing with the with the due on sale clause, how most loans have the due on sale clause in it. It means it, but within the due on sale clause, it says they may call it due. It doesn't mean they must call it due.
0: Right. So, um, what happens is the bank says, well, okay, you did not pay off the debt you owed to us, but now there's a new owner. So the new owner of the property is paying off the debt on your behalf. Okay. Well, I'm fine with that. I'll just keep collecting payments. The reality is, we talked about this last week, is that most banks will never find out that the, that you transfer the ownership, and if a bank does find out, the likelihood of them caring is slim to none. But it does happen, and so we want to talk about today how to prevent it, and how to um, restructure it if it does indeed happen. Now, if you um, have the do on sale clause happen to you, here's a couple of things. Okay, a couple of things is that the due on sale clause takes three to nine months to actually go into effect. So when let's say a bank finds out that you transferred the ownership in a subject to transaction, the bank doesn't immediately come back and take the home back. They legally can't do that. They can't take your home from you. They cannot take your home from you unless they go through a foreclosure process. And so what they do is they send you a letter. This is the mechanics behind it. They actually send you a letter. And that letter says, we've noticed that the ownership of this property has changed and we are enforcing the due on sale clause and we are accelerating the mortgage, which means we want to be paid off immediately. And if we are not paid off immediately, then we will foreclose on the property utilizing the due on sale clause, which means you took, you sold the house to somebody else, but you did not pay us off. It doesn't matter if the payments are on time. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. None of that matters. Um, And so if they if you don't pay them off immediately when they find out that you transferred the ownership, what happens is they will have to 100 percent of the time foreclose on you through a judicial foreclosure, which takes months and months and months, if not years. And here's um, the, the thing. They, it does not affect the seller's credit. If the house goes into, if they call the mortgage due and the due on sale clause is actually evoked, Um, it does not cause any credit issues because you don't have any late payments. Okay. Um, Will the bank call the due on sale clause if they find out if the property is listed on market? So Dana Wang, this is such a hard thing to really do on a podcast in 45 minutes, but that question, is so layered with um, so many things I want to tell you. But the main thing that I want to tell you is let's ask the, here's the appropriate question. How will they find out? Do you think that there's a, that also tells me that you didn't watch last week's episode because we talked about this ad nauseum is that the bank does not have the ability to find out about the due on sale clause unless somebody manually goes and searches the property. It is an arduous and tedious project, or project or process for that bank to go in individually and find out if the tra- the deed has transferred to another party, because those records are actually at the county recorder's office, and the county recorder is not tied into some sort of database that the mortgage companies are, you know, taking an algorithm and searching for the transfer of ownership happening all the time. Nor do they even care. Their business model is to create new loans and collect payments so if we start asking the question of will the bank call the due on sale clause if they find out the property is listed on the market the answer is no first they will not secondly even if they did see the property was on the list listed on the market why would the mortgage company even be looking at the market and cross-referencing whether a mortgage that they've issued is being sold or not who at the bank Ask yourself this question, Dana: Who at the bank? What position at the bank is doing that? Who at the bank? You walk into any bank. You in most of these are really, really big companies with high rises and sky, you know, skyscrapers and even locations all over the world. You walk into any one of their locations. What is the department that is searching for the due on sale clause? They are such a big animal that the only objective they have on a daily basis is to create new loans. So would it be in their benefit even to have one employee searching for homes that they have mortgages on if they are on the market or not? Okay. Um, Helping hand says this is when land trusts come into play. We also talked about this as well. I believe land trusts, um, through the experiences I've had for years and the masterminds that we're part of and all the other people that are doing, doing creative finance deals, um, land trusts are not helpful in preventing the due on sale clause. Let me repeat that one more time. Land trusts are not going to prevent the due on sale clause from happening. We have multiple friends that have had the due on sale clause called on them, even though they have properly utilized a land trust. And if you guys want to have um, somebody come on as a special guest who has had the due on sale clause called on them through a land trust to finally put that to bed, we will happily do that. Um, But yes, it is a common belief that land trusts help you um, prevent the due on sale clause. They do not. Okay. So Steve Hall says, typically banks find out about change of address for taxes. Okay, great. So Steve, you're leading into my question even more. Who at the bank is monitoring this? Who is who at the bank is monitoring this, Steve? That's a that's a really good lead in. I really like that. Um, okay, can someone can you sell a home on owner finance if they have a lease if they lease solar panels? Cody, how many times have we done this, and how many times have we fixed and flipped a property with solar panels? All the time. Yes, yeah, solar panels are actually very easy to handle. Okay, um, James Ford says, remind us on how to deal with the insurance on the house. Not a problem. Here's the simplest answer is that I would go watch episode one of do on sale clause, because we talked about that for about seven to 10 minutes. Um, And I understand too, Sherita Sherita says sometimes people are fearful of what they do not understand. Completely agree with that. Um, When we first started buying subject to deals and doing creative finance deals, we too were worried about the do on sale clause and we too were Utilizing land trusts, and we, that's why how we found out land trusts are basically worthless in this transaction. Land trusts are use useful, but they are useless as far as it comes to preventing the due on sale clause. Okay, um, and believe me, we've been through it. We've had the due on sale clause ca- called on us, and we'll go through how we restructure that in a little bit. Okay, so hopefully, Dana, that answered your question about will the bank call the due on sale clause if the property is listed on the market? Let me ask you who at a bank is actually monitoring that. Okay. Adam says, Hey pace, if the due on sale clause was called on a loan, would it affect the seller's credit negatively? Um, no immediately. And if you don't know what you're doing, then yes. So let me answer the reason why it's no immediately is because the only way it can affect the seller's credit is if the bank actually, um, pushes forward on the foreclosure and puts the home into foreclosure. But they don't put the home into foreclosure immediately. Usually it's 30 to 60 days before they actually go through the foreclosure process. When they first start, what they're doing is they're sending you a warning or demand letter and they're saying, we want to be paid off immediately. And if you don't pay us off immediately, then we will then have no other choice but to put the home into foreclosure. So for that, ter- that time frame of 30 to 60 days, you have nothing to worry about. Now, if you're an idiot and you don't know what you're doing, then ultimately you'll say, oh my gosh, I don't know how to handle the do on sale clause. And you will ultimately have the bank forced to um, put the name or put the home into foreclosure. And then yes, it will affect the seller's credit. Okay. So hopefully that answers um, that question. So how do we handle the do-on-so clause? Let's get into that because what I'm finding is a lot of the questions that we're getting today are based on people that haven't watched last week's episode. So I'm going to try and keep myself on track so people that watch last week's episode get new value rather than us rehearsing things that we talked about last week for an hour. And I don't mean that, that condescendingly. I'm saying it very politely. I'm very happy to talk about it. The problem is I have an addiction to talking about everything. I, I love this stuff and I love talking about it and teaching about it and all that kind of stuff. So when I see a question, I really, really care and I really, really want to give you the answer but it deviates from the topic at hand. So um, that is what I really need to focus on, cool. Steve Hall says, great to keep on track, yes. So um, Ben says, you ask a title company to sell a policy after you close and be, before- oh, okay, cool. Um, JD says, anyone know if a limited power of attorney that is a sub two seller signs is no longer valid. If the sub two seller dies, um, no, you still have a power of attorney. Does death take uh, death? Does death make power of attorney docs invalid? No, it does not because your limited power of attorney doesn't mean you have the ability to make decisions for every part of that person's life. You only have the ability to make decisions on behalf of their mortgage and on their insurance. And so you have that ability as long as you are the owner of that individual property. Okay. Um, Daniel says, you just answered my question. Cool. Hopefully that helped. Um, How do we sell on a wrap without first closing on it? So Manuel, what I would do is I would squat up with one of my students. I just did a mini course for my students live which is collectively about 12 hours of how to um, find wraps, how to value wraps, how to find buyers, how to sell the house, how to do it without closing on it. And if your question is, how do I do this? That means you have not watched that mini course. So I would go squat up with one of my students who has watched that mini course and they will help you through that process, okay? Um, Marie Flagler says, through a loan modification, the bank found out the deed was not in the seller's name. That's very interesting. Why would the seller be doing a loan modification on a home they no longer own? That's a question I have for you. How do we put it back in the seller's name temporarily? So Marie, that's a great question. Um, By the way, Marie, um, you're on Facebook and so are multiple other people. So we have well over 200 people watching tonight, which thank you guys so much. Um, But please, if you're on Facebook, go over to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com forward slash pace Morby and watch this on YouTube. It's a lot easier format. Um, and a lot of times Facebook makes it so you guys can't communicate with each other. Also m- most let's look at it. We have the majority of people on this stream are in my um, YouTube. Okay. So nearly 80% of the people that are watching this right now are in my coming from my YouTube channel. So youtube.com forward slash pace Morby. So if you go there, you're going to have way more people to uh, squat up with way more people in the comments, way more people. So I'm going to continue to stream to the Facebook, but please go to the YouTube channel. Cause you'll be able to um, work with more of my students and work with more people that really can help you out um, by squatting up with you. Okay. Um, okay. What's up pace that you can, a statement of Bitcoin as proof of funds. Oh my gosh. I, I, I wonder if this is a riddle. Is this the, is this the uh, joker and he's sending me a riddle? I have no idea. Um, okay. So we started the process before I did sub two because it was a pre foreclosure. I get that Marie, but what, at the end of the day, why didn't you do a loan modification first, and then take the home subject to after the loan modification was completed? That's the process that you need to follow. That's what I teach my students. You always, always, always do the loan modification first, and then you do the subject to. You don't do a subject to and then a loan modification. First and foremost, if they're going to, um, if they're going to adjust the loan and restructure the loan, wouldn't they want the seller on the on the deed? Of course they would. So if they found out about it, it's very simple. This is what you do. You do a quick claim deed. Write that down. Quit, quit. Like quit your day job. Quit your day job. Quit. Quit claim deed. Okay. Um so You do a quick claim deed, very easy. You have the you sign a quick claim deed back to the seller, and then you go take some education on never ever 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 doing that again. You if you're doing if the homeowner is in pre foreclosure, you do the loan modification first. My question is, um, if you did the loan modification, and what if they got rejected for the loan modification? Why would you have taken that home over subject two before the loan modification was done and you knew what the new interest rate was? Did you know that through a loan modification that the home will have a new interest rate and new terms on that loan modification? Cody, do you remember a deal we did? um, We were in the process of doing, this is a long time ago, it was with George in Phoenix. And we get a subject two under contract it needed a loan modification. And after the loan modification got approved, we canceled the deal because the interest rate went from 3.5% to 6.2% after the loan mod was done. Do you remember that?
1: Yes. Yeah. No, I mean that, that can kill the deal for sure. I mean, you never know what the loan mods going to get approved to, cause it's all based on the bank and what the bank's going to decide that they want to do with the the loan mod. I mean, Loan mods are great for the seller because typically it's going to lower the payment typically, but not always. They could, you know, they could change up the loan amount of years. They could change up the interest rate. They could change up a lot of different things with that. So what are you eating, bro? Tuna salad.
0: Nice. My wife taking care of me.
1: Yeah. I uh, made me food too. Some chicken and noodles and veggies and a bunch of good stuff. But yes i remember that deal that was in awatuki i think
0: so marie flagler says the attorney did not advise this you should tell that attorney to come watch sunday service because he doesn't know what he's doing (laughs) i'm sorry to say that but a lot of attorneys don't know what they're doing and it doesn't make sense i mean think about it marie why would the attorney advise you to take the home subject to before you knew what the new interest rate and the new terms And whether that you even knew, I know why. I know exactly why the attorney would suggest this. Cody, do you know why?
1: I have to assume it's because the attorney will make more money doing it their way. Right. That's it.
0: That's it. That's 100% it. First and foremost, they get paid to close escrow the first time. And then they get help. They get paid to help you through the loan modification if they are helping you into, at all. Which I don't know any attorneys that help with loan modification. But that, I, thank you for the question. And I'm sorry. It sounds like I'm being critical of your attorney, which I am. Send your attorney a copy of this recording and tell your attorney he should call me, and I'll I'll give him some free education that he didn't learn in law school. The only way you can learn this stuff is by actually doing deals and realizing that most of the people that give you advice out there are just trying to charge you something. So maybe your attorney should subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, okay. Sources VIP says chances are, if they go through the loan mod, they will probably add the difference that's discounted to the end of the loan and that get taxed with a 1099. We've seen so many loan modifications get rejected first and foremost, so now you're stuck with a home that has all these arrears and it's still in foreclosure, even though they got rejected on the loan modification. Then the second thing that happens a lot of times, most of the time, actually, I've never seen a loan modification with the exact same terms as the loan was before we we got under contract. So what we do when we get a, lo- a home that's in foreclosure and we want to take it through, through a loan modification what we do is we write in the purchase contract that we have the right to cancel on the subject to can, uh, contract up until the point when we know that the um, what the new loan is going to be, what the new terms are. And then we can reevaluate and reassess. And that is when the last time we did this. Um, I'm sure Marie, hopefully she hopefully she doesn't get upset and defensive. I don't think she is she, like the, her, uh, her Marie. It seems like she has the personality of very sweet and nice. So hopefully she understands. I'm just trying to be helpful. I'm not trying to criticize that attorney, but it does bring up a good point. A lot of attorneys don't know what they're doing. A lot of CPAs don't know what they're doing. A lot of title companies don't know what they're doing. Let's be honest. 99% of human beings on the planet don't know what they're doing. Right. They learn their they learn their very basic job and they go to that they um, go to that job every single day doing the same thing over and over and over until the day they die. And they very rarely go above and beyond and learn something new. So um, unfortunately, you've got to find good people to do business with or you've got to link in or squad up with or learn from people who are actually doing deals actively and run into these situations. So you can ask these types of questions. But Marie, it's a simple process. But unfortunately, if you paid your attorney to close that, prop, that deal up front and you actually transferred the deed into your name and did all that closing and all that title work and blah, 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 you now, all of that was a waste. In fact, it was not just a waste of money. It was a waste of time. And now you alerted the bank that you are in the process of a sub two, or you actually, you completed a sub two incorrectly. Even your attorney did it incorrectly. And now you're going through a loan mod, and you now have to backtrack and start basically all over from scratch. So get a quick claim deed, deed the property back to the homeowner. Now the homeowner owns the property again, and now you have to deed it. All you have to do with this all over again, but do it properly. Go hire an attorney that knows what they're doing. Go join a mentorship of uh, with a mentor that knows what they're doing. I I don't know another creative finance mentorship that is under $25,000 right now, other than ours. Um, but go find one. Eddie speeds is really good, but I think he charges $50,000. Um, there's some other really, really good ones that are like $25,000. Um, go, go join one of those mentorships. If you don't want to join mine. Okay. Um, but don't try and do creative finance deals on your own. Okay. Um, okay. Um, Okay. So I bought six that way and I'm catching hell, catching these mortgages up. I got them all within a three month span. Okay. So Marie, that's amazing. Um, But why aren't you learning from somebody who's doing deals? Right. Why aren't you doing deals with people who are doing deals? Right. That's why we have this show. That's why we do these podcasts is so we want to cultivate a community of people that are doing deals with each other. Okay. Um, it is a, a simple solution, um, but we do teach people how to take on foreclosure homes. I would say the majority of our sub twos came from pre-foreclosures. What you say, Cody? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that,
1: that was one of the, the best ways to acquire them. I mean, the challenge with the foreclosures are the type of seller you're dealing with in the first place. What are they going through? They're going through lots of financial distress. You have to deal with loan mods. You have to deal with extending foreclosures. You have to deal with weird title issues. There's a lot more issues that you have to deal with when you're acquiring uh, sub twos or, uh, you know, through free foreclosures as your primary lead source. So there's a lot of, you know, opportunity with them, but you have to be able to, you know, wade through the mud and get, you know, get through some of those issues.
0: Okay. So, um, Marie Flagler says she wants the house back. So this is a disaster. Can I just list and sell it? Marie, I already know every problem you're dealing with dealing with right now. I don't even have to know this. You are not in our mentorship because you would not be dealing with one of these single problems at all. If you were in our mentorship, that's how it was. I appreciate the questions. These are great questions, but You being in this stressful situation because you've been trying to learn for free, you're going to pay for this one one way or another, okay? You're either going to pay to learn from somebody who knows what they're doing or you're going to pay to put yourself through anguish, turmoil, angst, anxiety, staying up at night and bleeding money left and right because you didn't learn the proper way, which was always find somebody that's doing these types of deals and learn from them and then go take action, okay? Okay. Um, so, I'm glad you're here. So, here, what I would do is quit claim deed that property back to that seller. Unfortunately, you just said she wants the house back. So, this is why you don't ever do what that attorney suggested you do. He's an idiot, and you can take a recording from this. Hey, attorney, my name is Pace Morby. My email is pacejmorby at me.com. You can email me, and I will give you some free education. You are an absolute bonehead, and you're giving people improper advice. And I want Marie to take this recording, clip it out and send it to your email and let you know that you are a bonehead and you cost her a lot of money. You are dumb. So Marie, here's what I would do. That is a great idea. I would list the property, sell it because you have plenty of time from the do on sale clause. I would list it and sell it because ultimately right now the seller is all happy because you're solving her problem. But now she realizes I want the house back. The market's appreciating and oh my gosh, whatever it is. Now you've already paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. List the property and sell it. Okay. List the property and sell it. Cody and I have list pro- listed properties and sold them based on issues we were having with, um, things we had with the seller or whatever else. That's always a great option. It doesn't happen that often, but it does. And we get our, a big chunk of money back because, you know, we made money on the deal, but that's what I would probably do. The next thing I would do, um, Marie Flagler, don't join my mentorship. If you, if you were going to join my mentorship, you probably would have already joined the mentorship. Go to like Eddie Speed. I think it's like um, USA Note School. It's like 50,000 bucks. That's a pretty good mentorship to join. Um, it, what I want you to do is just work with my students. Okay, and my students will help you out. Don't join my mentorship. Um, okay, so um, let's go through. And let's talk about how to handle the due on sale clause. We, we The reason why I spent so much time on Marie's question is because it's a great question. And Marie, I really, really thank you for coming in here. If you run into the due on sale clause, a very quick solution is you deed the property back to the homeowner and you restructure the deal. OK, I'm going to say that again. You deed the property back to the homeowner and you restructure the deal. So. If you are learning from somebody that knows what they're doing, your paperwork will state that you have the right to deed the property back to the homeowner and restructure the deal at any point in the future based on the potential of the due on sale clause happening. That is actually in our paperwork. That is what the seller agrees to. The seller agrees to be available for us to exchange paperwork in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Okay. So if the due on sale clause happens, boom, we deed the property back to the homeowner and we have now multiple ways that we can restructure that deal. Either A, we restructure the deal on a, write this down, an auto renewing lease option with the the option price to be the mortgage balance at the day you execute the option. I'm gonna say that again because there's so many people Ooh, who so never good. how good is that? So good. Nobody would you're you're tell your attorney to watch this podcast because he's never heard that in his life. I can guarantee you that. Well, how much did his professors charge him to learn and get his, his law degree? Because I should be getting paid. <laughs> get tell him to pay me for a scholarship. How do we know this? because Cody and I have been through it. We didn't read it in a textbook. We've been through it. We know Why what it's deal Yes, Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, we gotta figure this out. <laughs> right, so here's what we do. Do on sale clause gets called. This, is, uh, this was the last time we did this was on Lost Dutchman Trail, right? Yeah. So Lost Dutchman Trail is the name of the street. We get a bank, we get a letter from the bank, due on sale clause. I've dealt with multiple do on sale clauses. So we didn't worry about it at all, but this is the last time it happened. And I'll tell you why it got called is because it was in foreclosure. And we talked about this last week in previous episode. We broke this down a little bit more why this got called due on sale. So I won't go into it too much, but the bank was a very small bank. It was Johnson bank. They only have six branches And when we bought it through foreclosure, we caught up the arrears, right? We caught up all the payments, we caught up everything, and we closed escrow too quickly. We should have closed escrow like 10 or 15 days later, but we closed escrow like immediately. And the bank, when they went back to reinstate the mortgage online and go do all their work, they noticed that the deed had transferred. So the bank, we called the bank, the president of the bank, and we actually spoke to the president of the bank. And we said, hey, president of the bank, we did buy this subject to and we want to know what can we do to just stop this from happening. The bank, said, the bank manager says, no, we get it. I get a lot of we get a lot of people that buy our uh, mortgages or these homes subject to with our mortgages attached. It's not a problem other than since my dad started the bank 70 years ago. It has always been the policy to call the due on sale clause on a home that has transferred ownership. It's just our policy. It's nothing I really can do. It's something that's in our bylaws and all of our shareholders and all that kind of stuff. That's what our, our laws are. And we go, okay, well, do you have any suggestions on how to handle this? And his answer was, what we already knew. We already knew what the answer was because we had dealt with this multiple times. I'm going to tell you what his answer was. This is coming straight from the president of Johnson bank, the bank that just called the do on sale clause on us, a very cordial conversation. Okay. The conversation was, well, you can always deed the property back to the seller and just buy it on an agreement for sale. So many people are like, what is an agreement for sale? Well, we've talked about that multiple times in previous episodes of Sunday Service. It's called an executory contract. I would be surprised if your attorney didn't know what an executory contract is. But an executory contract is where you take ownership of the property, but you don't transfer the deed. And then some people are going to be like, well, wait a minute. Isn't taking ownership of the property when you receive the deed in your name? So if I don't get the deed, then how do I transfer the ownership? Well, it's called an agreement for sale. It's a document that you hold that shows your ownership and your rights over that property. And you take that agreement and you record that agreement against the property, but keep the deed in the seller's name, therefore, therefore never triggering the due on sale clause. So that's what the bank owner told us. Okay. That's what the bank owner told us. And we we go, okay, well, we've done that multiple times. Is there anything else we can do? He's like, well, as far as I've been in the, this business, that's the only thing I can do to show you how to stop the do and sell clause. Guys, the bank is giving us, the bank told us exactly what we've been telling people. The bank told us to do that. Deed the property back to the homeowner, which we did. We, I think we gave him 500 bucks just for his trouble because he was out of state or something like that. Do you remember this, Cody? Yeah, I think... Uh... I think my I wife fell with this. A
1: thousand bucks or something, just to like, I think he was low on money. So it helped
0: him move faster. Right. He was, oh, that's right. Laura, my wife who helps us out. Yeah. With her, she was like, I'm having a really hard time getting a hold of this guy and getting him to take action. And we were like, throw him 500 bucks. Okay. So, um, Yeah, Desiree Gonzalez says this can be used to ha- answer that seller objection 100. percent So that's one way. Another way to do it is you buy the property in the first place on an agreement for sale. But we've ha- we've talked about why we don't buy on agreement for sale is because we don't get the deed, and I would prefer to have the deed. Okay. Now, if I'm a little sissy s i s s y if I'm a little sissy and I'm so afraid of the do on sale clause, then buy everything on agreement for sale and never get the deed. So, Michael Mason, what about filing a memorandum of interest? Well, a memorandum of interest can be um, gone around. You can go around a memorandum of interest. Our title, Cody and I own a title company. We go around stupid wholesalers' memorandums all the time. Go around them. What does that mean? We can sell the property even though there's a memorandum on the property. I get. I bet so many people. I bet so many people don't know that you can go around a memorandum. Interesting, huh? So no, a memorandum doesn't work. A memorandum won't, you can go around a memorandum because wholesalers and people don't know how to file them properly. So we tell our, we at Title, we just go around them. Bye-bye memorandum, okay? We just had a memorandum on one of our deals. How much will we make on that deal, by the way? Which one? The um, uh, Coolidge. Oh, Coolidge! I like mean hundred and
1: fifty yeah, yeah, one fifty is pretty solid estimate i mean that that was a situation where we had the deal under contract, and then some and we had a memorandum, and someone else tries to just go and contract it and file their own memorandum after us, mm-hmm. like they could just do that just to stop us from buying it. So we actually Laura on that, honestly, because she did so much work on that deal. So grateful for everything that she did on that deal and continues to do because of all the freaking issues
0: with it. Ooh, this is good. If you do it for sale, couldn't you also file a note and deed of trust instead of a um, a filing a memorandum? Yes, you could. 100% you could do a note and deed of trust, which is essentially um, you if you go that route, here's the thing. If you file a note and deed of trust, and in the note and deed of trust, you state all of these things, there's a lot of costs associated with this. So filing an agreement for sale against a property um, 100% guarantees a title company will not go around that. And you always, when you have an agreement for sale, will always have a note and deed of trust. But the agreement for sale is what guarantees that you have the ownership of the actual property. Right, A note and deed of trust states typically that there's a debt that is owed, Right, a note and a deed of trust. A deed of trust is another mortgage. People that live in a mortgage state and don't live in a note and deed of trust state think that note and deeds of trust and mortgages are different. They are not different. They are called different things in different states. But a note and deed of, a deed of trust is a mortgage. It is a debt. So let me ask you a question. If I am buying the property on an agreement for sale and the deed is not transferring, what am I putting a deed of trust for? Who's, who owes me a debt? Nobody. Nobody owes you a debt. So putting a, a deed of trust in that situation would not actually work. What you could do is I guess you could put a note, but who's the note in the agreement with? It's just all you're doing is duplicating the effort. What you really do is you take the agreement for sale and you record it against the property and it accomplishes everything. Now, if you're buying it on a wrap, right, where the like, for example, I bought this house I'm living in on a wrap. I have a $1.2 million sub two mortgage, I have an $800,000 seller finance deal at eight, uh, 0% interest. I purchased this on a wrap. So yes, my $800,000 has its own separate note and deed of trust. So technically, yes, but I still, I still transferred the deed on the property, even on the $1.2 million deed or $1.2 million debt, because I want the ownership of this property and I am not worried about the due on sale clause in that situation. Then yes, I put a note in a deed of trust together for the second position on a wrap. But if I'm only buying a sub two, clean sub two, right? I don't owe the seller anything after I give the seller maybe two or $3,000. What would the note and deed of trust be for? I would be writing a note between who and who, and I would be writing a deed of trust between who and who. Nobody. So what you do is you buy it on an agreement for sale. You take that agreement for sale and you record that against the property, which shows your ownership and the title company will not have the ability to go around that. It actually creates a lean position. Now, the second thing, clouds title. The second way that we do do this um, is we buy it on... This is the the thing we said earlier, but I want to be really clear on this again. The second way that we'll buy a property if we restructure it is through a lease option and I highly hate buying houses on lease options unless you do it this way. So pay attention and write this down, gentlemen. Do you guys feel like I was too mean to Marie's attorney, by the way? I think Marie probably got really mad. Um, Marie, are you still in here? Are you mad at me still? Edward Johnson says, Pace, I know very little about creative finance. Should I just start watching all your YouTube playlists? Yes. Um, I would focus on whole um, Sunday service. Sunday service, we've been talking about creative finance on here an hour and a half every Sunday for the last year and eight months. So we've done 70 episodes probably, something like that. Um, So... um, Alonzo Edmondson, your personal questions get answered. If you, if you are a, in my mentorship, just in the last two days, I did 15 hours. Yesterday on Saturday morning, uh, 6 a.m. until 4 p.m. on a Saturday, I spent 10 hours live with my students answering questions, 10 hours. And then this morning, 6 a.m. until 11 a.m., so I went another five hours. So just in two days, I did 15 hours of live on a Zoom, so I can actually, you raise your hand, I have a question, you speak to me instead of doing it in the comments, that is what a mentorship should be, is that you can come in and ask live questions, okay? I'm sorry that these podcasts are really hard for a- us to answer everybody's questions, it's, it is challenging. Um, let's see, yeah, one of our students, um, Ben and his partner Reggie was like, my, my rump was sore from sitting all day long learning. Desiree says it was fire. Yes, I saw Desiree in there. She had a lot of really good comments and a lot of really good questions. Um, Robbie says pace and Robbie's actually came to my house. So good to see you in here, Robbie. Robbie says start a new mentorship for attorneys and accountants. We are actually uh, not a new mentor, not a new mentorship, but Sean St. Clair, our attorney and us are actually helping. We're helping Sean build a Facebook group for attorneys nationwide that want to learn this stuff at a higher level. Um, so we will be um, doing that over the next couple of years. It takes a long time to get attorneys to give a crap about anything, to be honest. So write this down, guys. Write this down. This is the second way to restructure a due on sale clause, okay? The second way to re- this restructure the due on sale clause is you can deed the property back to the homeowner, Okay. And if you have the proper paperwork, your proper paperwork allows you to do that at any point, And the seller agrees to it that you, even though you may deed the property back to them at some point in the future, it does not negate your um, ownership. OK, so that's what our paperwork states and that's what protects us. Then what happens is you re, you can repurchase this home. Listen to this. This is super interesting. You repurchase the home on a lease option That auto renews until I decide to execute my option and my option price is whatever the mortgage balance is on the day I execute that option. That's a lot to unpack. This is why I like having my whiteboard and like spending hours and hours talking about what I, my average time right now to answer one student's question is about 42 to 43 minutes. Cause it's like, wow, what a great question. Let's talk about why that's a good question. This, that and the other, okay, boom. I had a student come in today and he he's an engineer and he goes, can you answer me in a granular level? Why X, Y, and Z? And I go, absolutely. So 20 minutes later he goes, oh my gosh, I totally get it. I totally get it. I go, hold on, I'm having so much fun on this. I'm going to go another 20 minutes talking about this. And then all of a sudden the comments were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So I, I love answering the questions like very, very detailed. But that's the that's the surface level the surface level. It would probably take me 45 minutes to truly unpack what that means. But let's do it. Let's talk about this one more time. If I get the due on sale clause called on me, I should have used the proper paperwork, I should have coached the seller along and told them that there's a possibility of the due on sale clause. I should have the ability to deed the property back to the seller at any given point that does not negate my actual ownership. And then I have the ability to restructure the deal based on now the bank knows that the due on sale clause is happening, okay? Now, here's here's what we just said. I now, I deed the property back to the homeowner. I now restructure a lease option that states I can lease the property for an indefinite amount of time, except leases do have to have a a term. That's why we do an auto renewing lease option. Okay. I can't just go 50 year lease. You can't do that legally. A lease by definition has to have a term. And so what you do is you do a yearly lease option with an auto renewing option. It renews automatically. Okay. Renews automatically, renews automatically. That way you get around that law of leases have to um, be a specific amount of time. You then have the option price, whatever the mortgage balance is. You can actually write this in, a, in an option. Option price to be whatever the mortgage balance is on the date of the executed option. So I could sell the property. I could refinance the property. I, we, whatever we want, we could pay the pro- property all the way off. On the last day of the mortgage, let's say the mortgage is going to pay off tomorrow for like $30 because I've paid 20, 29 years and 11 and a half months. I just go, I'm executing my option and I, I pay off the balance or I could continue to just own the property. Like I could go all the way through and just on the day when there is no mortgage, I just transfer the deed. Boom. Now I have the deed. Easy. Okay. Now the challenge is, with all of that, is why don't we do that out of the gate, Cody? Why don't we just buy everything on an agreement for sale? Why don't like how much did you pay in taxes last year? Let's talk about that. Zero, basically. Oh, Cody, very crazy. little. Yeah. Okay. Why did you very pay little. very little?
1: Taxes? No, um, uh, all the properties that we bought that we actually had the tax advantages. You know, when you're buying subject to, or you know, buying on a seller carry. You actually are able to write it off with the lease option. You're not technically the owner of the property. You control what's going to happen with the property, but you don't own it. You don't have the tax benefits. So, that's, I mean, that's a big reason right there. I mean, that's why we want to own the properties. That's like the lease option is a backup to still control the deal and not lose the deal, but it's just not the best case scenario for you as, you know, getting the tax benefits.
0: Right. So, that's the the thing is people will ask, well, why don't you just buy everything on an agreement for sale? Well, no tax benefits. And then also, when we don't have the deed, I just don't feel as secure as when I do have the deed. right? I, when I have the deed, I am the almighty powerful owner of that product. <laughs> yes. When I have the agreement for sale, I'm the kind of powerful, maybe have an issue, potentially, maybe, in the future, when the seller says, "I'm going to contest your," I'm going to contest your agreement for sale. I'm gonna. I've never had that. I've never heard of it. But is there a possibility of that happening? Yes. But if I have the deed, the court's going to say, "Dude, they have the, own, the ownership of the property." But if the seller has the deed and they want to contest our agreement for sale at some point, now I feel like I have a little bit of an issue. So for us, we'd rather just get the deed every single time. And the reason why we talk about the do on sale clause so much is because, okay, we have dealt with the fear of it in the past and we want you to deal with the fear so you understand and make a decision based on your level of comfort. For us, I have zero fear of the do on sale clause. I want the deed 100% of the time. I don't wanna buy on a land contract, agreement for a sale, a lease option. I look at all these people that are learning how to acquire properties on lease options. And I'm like, LOL, really? You're acquiring pop properties? You're not acquiring properties. You're acquiring leases that you ultimately have to at some point go get a loan for. Cody and I are acquiring actual properties and we are taking over loans without our credit and getting sellers to sell finance us stuff on stuff that's not subject to. The reason I think people acquire on lease options is because it doesn't require a lot of negotiating because you go, don't worry, seller, you get to keep the ownership of this property that I'm going to give you, I'm going to go through all this rigmarole and all this tediousness and all this everything, but you get to keep the ownership. F that, get better at negotiating, get the deed, okay? Go get the deed. I. How many and by the way, how many opportunities have we even had to get to buy on a lease option, Cody?
1: I mean, we never are going out and trying to do that. So I don't I don't even know. We're always just going for sub two or seller carry or a hybrid of the two. So there's not really that many that come up as that. But I don't know. I'm not interested in buying on a lease option anyway. Just doesn't I mean, yeah, it can make sense for people to use it, obviously, but it's just if you can get the tax benefits, why not get the tax benefits and the deed and the, deed.
0: the ownership and yeah. you don't ever have to refinance the deal out and, and execute the option. Right? Yep. hundred percent guys. Have we, so many have of we, these well, I'm going to ask Cody a couple of questions. Have we sufficiently told you two options of exactly how to overcome the due on sale clause? There's a third option. I'm going to say it really quickly. Did you know that there is a company that actually issues due on sale clause insurance nationwide? Our students know that, but most people don't know that there is a company that will issue due on sale clause insurance against a due on sale clause. Okay, but why don't I really use them? Well, because they cost money and I, I would use them only if I didn't know how to handle the, the do-on-sell clause by myself. But we do. And we've dealt with it. Cody, what are your big plans for the week, bro?
1: Oh, just getting, getting the funding lined up for a few flips that we have closing this week to buy. Um, a lot of exciting stuff. Working on some stuff with Start Virtual. Um and this is this will be like the first full week back after like the catch up week. So, you know, it's it's awesome. I'm I'm super excited for tomorrow and to get back to it. Mm.
0: Look at this. This is so good.
1: with the deed back to owner what happens if the seller gets tax liens or
0: judgments okay so a tax lien or a judgment is only important based on the position when it's recorded okay so for example let's say i take over home subject to i wish i had my whiteboard out i wish i was in the mentorship right now cuz i in my mentorship zoom i'm like writing things out on my whiteboard and it's like visually great I also like Mike's comment right here because that's very true. Okay, so take a look, take a look, look, see at this. If I buy a house on an agreement for sale, I record my position in second position. So the first position is the mortgage company, second position is my agreement for sale. So I don't care. I don't care if the seller gets tax liens and judgments and all that kind of stuff and it comes in behind me. Because it doesn't matter if it's an IRS lien or if it's God himself, God himself has to go in third position. So my, my position is protected. I'm in a perfectly fine position. So when we, find, we write the agreement for sale, we show how much of the ownership of the property we have, what we're buying it for, all of that kind of stuff. And the agreement for sale will protect us in that position. If they come in and get a million dollar tax lien behind that, it doesn't matter. I can go sell the property and I get all my money back before the IRS, before the tax liens, before anybody else gets their money, before God himself, who might be in third position. I say that because I'm trying to get you to understand it doesn't matter where the liens come from, where the judgments come from. It matters when. So if I hold the deed today and then tomorrow I deed the property back to the owner and then the same day, I also record my position on the property in an agreement for sale format. I am then protected against any lien, any time. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Great question, though. Okay. if Is what you're doing now exactly what you would be doing if n- money was no option? Or would you be doing something else? Is this your perfect life? I thought about this a lot today because I had mastermind students hang out with me this whole week. They, I have mastermind students staying in my house right now. Oh, really? Yeah, and because uh, I'm just like, you know what? Hey, if you guys are um, a couple of students, uh, Chapito and Bruno, who have like eight start virtual assistants. Yeah. Um, Check this out. Steve Hall says, IRS tax liens, liens from un- our Uncle Sam don't take priority over any other lien hold- holders. Steve Hall, not only those ones, but God, Heavenly Father himself, God does not take priority over a position. A position is... The importance of a position is when it is recorded. Not who it is, not what it's for, but when it is recorded. The time in which it is recorded. Okay. Ooh, this one's good. Adam Quat says, one of my su- subject two sellers is suing me two years after I close on their property. They are trying to force me to sell the property. Have you been in this situation before? Yes, we have. And we had our attorney call them and handle it.
1: Yeah. We had that on our Chandler property. Yeah, the one on, what was the name of the property? Mercury. We, Mercury. Did, we had our attorney get involved and they, I mean, as long as you have the right paperwork, the right disclosures and everything, there's not gonna be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just had our attorney remind them and their attorney kindly of the agreement that they agreed to originally and signed, and it went
0: away. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was a really good question in here and I skipped over it. Oh. Aaron Leeds. Yes, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I, i I'm, It's hard to even believe this, but like, think about it. It's really weird to think about this, especially from pe- people that work so much. I am retired. What I do for a living is I am retired. So think about this. I have one Airbnb that makes me 10 grand a month. I have another Airbnb that makes eight grand a month. I have another Airbnb that makes five grand a month. I have multiple Airbnbs that make three or four grand a month. I have multiple Airbnbs that make two, three, four thousand $4,000 a month. A lot. I technically don't have or have to work again. I'm retired, but that's some boring shit. Are you yeah. serious? Bro. You were put on this earth to do some epic stuff, man. I am like, we're now on a TV show. I, I can tell you right now that being on the TV show has absolutely deterred me from my perfect life. It truly has. Being on the TV show has deterred my perfect life. I'm now looking at my my week this upcoming week. I feel like I have a nine to five job, and it's like a, it's atrocious. Monday through Friday, I'm required to be on set. I'm required to not use my phone. I'm required to do a whole bunch of stuff and be locked into a position that I can't serve my higher purpose. Now, the TV show is a cool experience. I think we're going to have fun with it for a year or two. But ultimately, I thought about today. I was like, you know what my perfect life is? Is having the house that I live in and living in the area that I live. I love Arizona. I know Cody loves Arizona, too. Like having that as my foundational home and then traveling around with my family. And I did that last year for five months of the year. So yes, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing my perfect life for a long time, going and experiencing things. And then when my kids grow up and my wife and I are by ourselves, I'll probably do a travel show and a food show on YouTube with my wife. Like we'll go and Cody and Hiel will probably do the same thing. Like you guys will just continue to travel. Like money's not an issue. Um, being able to do deals from anywhere is not an issue. Employing people is something that gives us energy. We just want to do more. Yep. It's yeah, an addiction.
1: It's, it is an addiction. Like I when I was thinking about, for those that don't know, I was basically on like a 44, 45 day trip through, and I just got back about a week ago. And I was so excited while I was there. And then when I got home, I was excited. And I'm just like, man, like, what else like what what else is there like when people are like oh i can't wait to be like retired it's like that that's so boring like how many days like even so like even when we we're in costa rica and we would surf for like a few hours i would just start thinking about i start getting ideas for a certain business and i'm like oh my gosh that's a good idea i want to do this i want to do that oh i know how we can resolve something and it's like you just think about the different things out of creation not out of like being forced to do it And that's, I feel like that's what life's about is like getting to a place where you're just creating and you're able to create freely and then enjoy as you
0: go. I feel like right now that our great purpose, at least for the next couple of years is to help people overcome their excuses and their bull crap, like objections they have in their own mind of why they can't get into this business because at some point it was challenging for us right like even for you even for me at some point this was a hard business to get into because we didn't have all the answers and we didn't have somebody giving us what we needed when we needed it yeah and the mentorships that we join and the people we learned from it was temporary it was like yeah pay pay me and you'll be i'll be your mentor for three months or Or, like a weekend or a day or a weekend (laughs) yeah meanwhile Chipito and Bruno, who are your and my mastermind students from months and months ago, they're in town. I go, Come stay at the house. Let's go do, let's go talk deals. Let's hang out. And because of them, I put a class together. I'm like, Let's spend 15 hours together in my house and let's broadcast to all the students. And we all just had a blast. Like, well, that, awesome. I am living my purpose. I chose to do that on a Saturday for 10 hours. I chose to do it amazing. I was
1: wondering what you were doing
0: yesterday. I was like, what is like I just see a, a snippet of a post here and there and I'm like, what's face doing today? Yeah, and I don't tell Cody about it cuz it's not like we're charging anybody for it. We're just giving our students value and our mastermind students value. And that's part of my part my what I bring to the table with Cody is like it doesn't matter what day time anything. I'm like, hey, we have a we have a collective mastermind student. He's in town. I got a house that can support him staying here. Let me bring that value to the table. I feel like I'm living my greatest purpose right now. And I think Cody and I really need to focus on the next couple of years, how to continually elevate and bring level uh, levels of value that we haven't brought before. So for example, like one of the things I'm working on right now behind the scenes is I'm like, you know what? So many people ask me about raising private capital, And most of the time people ask me about raising private private capital, what they're really saying to me, it's kind of like, Cody, have you ever heard me say this thing about lactose intolerance? No. Okay, so when somebody when somebody tells you I don't like ice cream, what are they really telling you? I'm lactose intolerant. Yes, because nobody doesn't like ice cream. (laughs) You know, what I'm saying like everybody likes ice cream. And if you say, oh, I I don't like ice cream, you're an idiot and you're a liar. You like ice cream, you just have lactose intolerance. So just say you have lactose intolerance. So for me, when somebody keeps asking me questions of like how to raise private capital over and over and over, what they're really telling me is that they haven't even tried and they haven't taken action on it. So in order to force people into taking action, we have to physically show them how to do it, okay? I'm a monkey see, monkey do type of person. So what's funny is when people now say, how do I get started in real estate? I tell them, go watch the Zero to Hero Challenge and shut the hell up. Because I, we have literally showed you every single step along the way through the Zero to Hero Challenge. There's nothing more to give you. Nobody has ever done anything remotely close to that. But here's what it doesn't show you. It doesn't show you how to raise private capital. It doesn't show you how to do multiple other things, right? So now, the even though the Zero to Hero Challenge, by the way, if anybody's new, um, we are releasing Zero to Hero Challenge um, recordings. Um, oh, by the way, I am gonna be on daily dial. I'm gonna be on my Zooms at 5 a.m. all week long this week. Uh, Zero to Hero uh, REI.com. Go to zero to hero rei.com. We're releasing those recordings, I think, in 10, 15 days or so. Um, Aaron Leet says, I feel like I need to learn how to be a better leader or business owner. I think I do too, bro, to be honest. <laughs> I haven't figured it out. It never ends. It never ends. You always right. get to somewhere, and then you're like, How do I do better? How do, right. I, do, so better? How do I do better? The, you now have the answer for zero to hero. Now, when somebody says, Tell me how to start in real estate. It's like here. Like literally, we just showed you how to do it. Physically, literally. we tell you. We showed you, okay? We have nothing so, else for you. That is it. Zero to hero. Dude, we have nothing. The gas tank is empty on that, right? <laughs> so then the next one is the one I want to do is I'm working with like three or four other well-known money raisers, people that are really good at money, raising money that even charge like 15 grand for a raising capital mentorship. And I'm challenging all of them. Put your money where your mouth is. If you're as good at raising capital as you say you are, I want to do a challenge with you for 16 hours straight where we find a deal And we fund a deal with an unknown private lender. We have to go find a private lender after finding a new deal. So they can't be a sub two student because I can find private capital in the sub two mentorship in like five minutes. And it can't be a deal I get from the sub two mentorship because I can find a deal right now in five minutes. Right. So I can't find the deal from my own resources and I can't find a lender from my own resources. So we have to go find a deal. And we have to go fund that deal with a private money lender in less than 16 hours or else we fail. Amazing. I'm trying to create a, a challenge where we fail. Like I want it to be like, well, we gave it our hardest. <laughs> oh man. I love it. So, and I'm not going to charge for that. That's going to be available for every, everybody that's a zero to hero. They have a, the, they're part of the zero hero. Right. If they got access to the recordings of zero to hero, it's going to be free for sub two students and free for zero to hero participants. That's it. I'm not charging for it. I just like what can we do to like elevate? What what can we do that nobody else has done before? I'm not Elon Musk. Cody's not Elon Musk. We're never going to land on Mars. That's not what we were put on this Earth to do, nor does it give me passion to care about landing on Mars. But what's our version of landing on Mars?
1: doing crazy challenges honestly.
0: doing crazy challenges and maybe in 3 years that's going to change maybe Cody and I will start traveling the the world and doing a traveling show talking about let's go buy random real estate in random locations using nothing but bags of rice i who i don't know but we'll figure something out but right now we are living our greatest purpose and we're helping out a lot of people by showing them things that nobody else is doing. Right. So, um, if anyone can be a coach to me on sub two, I'm all in and I'm dedicated. Well, I think we're buying a deal from Crystal,
1: right? We are. I think she was saying for the for the
0: 16-hour challenge, you can't. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually will. What I'll probably do is I'll kick Crystal out of the mentorship for one day, <laughs> and then I'll buy a deal from her, and then I'll bring her back into the mentorship. But we are buying a deal from her. She's so sweet and beautiful. She's awesome. Gary. Yeah, let me close this. Look at this. Gary says, Pace taught me how to raise private capital. You know what would be fun is if I employed a bunch of this I- – I would. I'm like, how do I bring the students into this challenge, like the 16 hour challenge, right? I just want to continually do the 16 hour challenge. And why is it 16 hours, by the way? Well, because that's typically how many hours a day that Cody and I both work. So it's like, what's the, what's the deal? And we don't. I don't feel like it's work. We have so much fun every single day, going from you know sun up, sun down, coming home, working. It's like just so fun what we get to do every single day. We are living our life's purpose. Cody, what would let's say that you're making a hundred grand a month, right? Residual. And you go, I don't want to work anymore. What would you do if you like work was not an option for you? What would you do? I don't know. I'd get bored. But couldn't you go to the beach every day and like get sand in your ass crack like a hundred times? No, that would, that would get boring. I mean, I would,
1: I mean, I would just volunteer, I guess if I couldn't work, I would just volunteer and go help people with whatever and drive a bunch cars and do i think what stuff. you'll
0: probably do is like at some point in the future like let's say you guys start having kids in five to seven years or whatever it is you'll probably slow down a little bit you know so you can spend more time with your kids and travel with your kids kind of like the stuff that i do but mm-hmm. outside of that like don't you want your kids to see how hard your dad their dad works so that when they grow up like same thing with you like your dad still works hard your mom still works hard your mom does a lot of philanthropy and Helping out like charity work and all that kind of stuff. You learned how to work hard from your parents. Yeah. So if you're just like, money's not an issue, which it's not, money's not an issue for me. But what am I teaching my kids by being a lazy piece of crap and just vacationing all the time?
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. I mean,
1: Matt, Matt Beard in the comment section, buy companies and hang out with authentic people. That's it hang out with authentic people, buy real estate, sell real estate, buy companies, sell companies, scale companies, help other people buy real estate, build companies, all that, all that.
0: Go that's have exper- go have experiences and um and yep. have um sand in your sand in your ass crack. Yep, that's it. You can do it all together. I mean, think about all the places we've traveled. Like you you and Matt were just in Miami. You were mm-hmm. like you guys are you go to masterminds, you meet amazing people. Man, if I get and you know what I really want to do is I want to invent a time machine. So I wish I never went to college. I never spent any of my time doing anything else. I never went and got a job. I wish I would have gone, you know where I would go. Where? I would go all the way back to when I was like 12 or 13, when I was at a point where I could like start making decisions. And I would tell my dad, dad, instead of us playing basketball this weekend for six hours together. Let's read a real estate book together and challenge each other and let's do real estate deals together. And I would have gotten my parents involved in real estate earlier. I would have been doing that earlier. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been wasting any of my time with like, my parents were driving halfway across Cal- you know all the way to California every four or five months to take us on family vacations. You know what we should have been doing is just hanging out at home, re- reading things and helping and like fixing and flipping as families. And my dad would have had a whole construction crew with 12 kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: <laughs> for real.
0: <laughs> so, anyway, so um, I, I like that one person liked my uh, sandal and sand in your ass crack joke. That was funny. I struggle with limiting self beliefs and negative mindset. And I think holding me back from being more successful. Aaron Leeds, I don't know what more to do for that, bro, for you, to be honest. Like, I brought in, <laughs> I literally brought in Robert Allen to talk about fears specifically for you. And if you still have self belief and negative mindset, it, mean, it typically means for me, it's that I, I don't know. It probably means you're not consistent and it means that you're not bringing enough value to other people. So that's probably what it brings down to is that if you are, and where do you get your self-worth? Do you know where I get all my self-worth? I get all of my self-worth probably from the same place most people do is how many people did I help today is where I get my, my self-worth from. I, my identity comes from the amount of people i can help cody do you kind of feel the same way
1: oh yeah for sure i mean i know when i feel the worst is when i'm like i'm doing the least and helping the least and i feel the best is when like i'm helping the most and whether it's helping other people and in their business or people in our business or you know new hires in our business i mean that the more the more you give the more you're you know you're going to receive back and and give you know, give back to yourself unintentionally, but it's just what happens.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, we went longer than we normally do. So, guys, mm-hmm. we appreciate you. So many people watched us. Let's see how many people are on Facebook. I want to remind everybody. So, guys, we have 41 people watching on Facebook right now on the Pace Morby Facebook. Please, next week, do me a favor. Go to youtube.com forward slash Pace Morby and watch it there because we have hundreds of people watching it on um, YouTube right now. We have like 230 people watching it on YouTube right now. And um, you're missing out on squatting up with those people. If you're in Facebook, Helping Hand says, can anyone share how much it is to sign up with Roger? or with pace. It's free to subscribe to my YouTube channel, go to my YouTube channel and for subscribe there for free and stop worrying about joining the greatest mentorship on planet earth. It's probably all booked out. Just go work with all the students. Okay. Um, and stop asking about the price of stuff, go work with students that we've given you the suggestions. We've told you to go work with each other, to squad up, do deals with each other. Go do that. Okay. Go do that. Cody. Any final words?
1: Final words. If you are driving to work and you want to listen to the replay, you can find Sunday service on Spotify and iTunes. So check us out on there. What's what's our topic next Sunday?
0: Uh, are we bringing Matt on? We're going to talk about Matt. We're going to bring in Matt Beard next week. Hell yeah. Let's do it.
1: Guys, have a wonderful week. Happy Sunday.
0: Um, guys, we will see you next week. Later.